0: you'll have to find out for yourself visit gocoastguard.com to learn more
1: Ah. the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center thanks to carvana it doesn't get
0: any better than this
1: your favorite seat's the best spot in the house make it even better by entering your license plate or vin and getting a real offer in minutes
0: there really is no place like home
1: And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place.
2: Cheryl, uh, this episode is, um, it's fun, but we did, we did have to get off of our Zoom recording and record from our phones.
1: Yeah. So if for some reason our voices sound different through throughout the recording, but Tig, it doesn't even matter because it's so full of um, chest hair and medallions and tight white pants. And um, Dane Cook came up. I mean, we had a we covered a lot.
2: Well, yeah, of course, Dane Cook came up. Why would Dane Cook not come up in a Bee Gees documentary? Um, yeah, so it makes sense. If you're a fan of Dane Cook or you're not a fan of Dane Cook. You should listen to this episode. Let's go. Let's listen. Let's do it. It all started when Tig and Cheryl met in the mid-2000s. Hey,
1: nice to meet you,
2: Tig. I'm Cheryl Hines. Hi, Cheryl. I'm Tig Notaro. Should we do a podcast about documentaries? Yes. A podcast about documentaries? Is this microphone on? Five furious frogs fiddling faintly. Furious frogs fiddling faintly. Five furious frogs
1: faintly. I am the first
0: ever podcast. And Tig and Cheryl are following in the sound of my footsteps.
2: Let's get started. I'm so ready. Tig and Cheryl. True story. The the oh, <laughs> <we can't laughs> the
1: Tig! Cheryl. We're talking about the, um, the Bee Gees today. How can you amend a broken heart?
2: Yes, and "Staying Alive is a perfect song to come in with, considering our technical difficulties today. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to stay alive on the show here. People don't know the lengths we go to to make this show happen.
1: No, they have no idea. I mean, I'm sitting in my closet, because those are the best acoustics in my house. But
2: that's like the least of our concerns. The least. The least of our concerns.
1: But listen, they don't care... They want they want to hear about the BGs.
2: People have paid a lot of money to hear about technical issues in your closet. <laughs> you
1: don't nobody's on their treadmill, you know, asking hoping that we talk about our technical difficulties. Well, more
2: importantly, nobody's paying for this. Well. <laughs> well, however, as I've said before and I'll say it again, they continue to pay dearly <laughs> with their time.
1: Yes. That's that's more important than you know, $2. Listen, welcome to Tig and Cheryl True Story. Right, right. That's right. That's the name of the show.
2: It's a global hit sensation. That's true. The Bee Gees. How can you mend a broken heart? That's what we're talking about. I'm going to tell people what it is. It's a 2020 documentary directed by Frank Marshall. The film follows the decades long careers of Barry Robin and Maurice Gibb, better known as the Bee Gees. While writing countless hits across multiple genres, the brothers hit incredible high notes, both literally and metaphorically, but also encountered unexpected backlash and suffered tragic personal losses. The documentary is distributed by HBO. Hmm. Were you a Bee Gees fan? Well, I'm. I'll say yes. Okay. I'm just looking for the truth. <laughs> we
1: don't happen to be right around this time when they were huge. I, I was. I was living in Winter Haven, Florida. We didn't have that much money, and I had, our family had one of those giant consoles. You know. Where it had the TV, the record player, mm-hmm. and what was the other one? Radio. All in one giant, like, thousand-pound console.
2: Yeah, which made people think they had a lot of money.
1: Yeah. When you looked at it, it was yeah, impressive. Like,
2: wow. When people had those speakers where it was like five feet yeah. tall speakers in each corner of the room, it's like, oh, this is nice.
1: Yeah. And our um, TV broke. And so we could only play records and the radio. So I know all of these songs very well. Not all of them, but any time during the time of uh, like 72, I think is when our TV broke. 72 to 74. We couldn't afford to fix it. (laughs) For two years. Yeah, yeah. Because that's when Happy Days, remember when Happy Days came out? Sure. And I went to school and people were like Sunday, doing... Sunday, Monday, Happy Days. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know what any of that was. And people were doing like thumbs up like the Fonz did. Like, hey. Yeah. And I was like, I-, I don't know what that means. My family doesn't have enough money to know what that means. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my friend had to tell me about the Fonz. But it was okay because I loved, I loved music. The Bee Gees, I love the vibe,
2: mm-hmm. um, they're they're a little high for my earballs. Okay, so all I asked was, were you a fan of the Bee Gees? And this feels very <laughs> long winded. I'm gonna say yes. I can just tell you out of the gate, I was a fan of the yeah. Bee Gees, mm-hmm. and the Bee Gees were very much a part of my household. My mother loved the Bee Gees, and she loved independently, she loved Andy Gibb, mm. and then she also. Had the Barry and Barbara Streisand "Guilty" album, Mm, so the the Bee Gees were huge in your house, huge in my house. And as soon as this movie started, I wanted to put on roller skates.
1: It does bring you back to a a time in your life. Mm -hmm. I mean, I suppose it depends on how old you are, but I'm 49, so
2: I'm 37.
1: So sounds like it.
2: If your TV wasn't working and you didn't know who Fonzie was in 1972, it sounds like you might be 37. Coming up on 37. The 37-year-old ship has sailed, Cheryl. <laughs> and it sunk. 40, I was 40. I'm 45. Listen. The 37-year-old ship capsized and sunk. <laughs> it sailed, capsized, and sunk. Okay. Were you a roller skater? no. Mm-mm. Okay, so you didn't you didn't want to lace up and roller skate when this movie started? I
1: couldn't afford roller skates. Oh,
2: see that I had a feeling once I asked if you were roller skating, and then I thought maybe you couldn't afford to roll around on shoes.
1: <laughs> I don't know why I did. I never really roller skated, but that being said, I did do the hustle. <laughs> you did. I mean, I really loved. Just go dancing, uh-huh, the bus stop and the hustle, and are you good the at car it? wash uh yeah, mhm, okay, yeah, I'm real good at it. I mean, I feel like I missed my decade, yeah, instead of the eighties, which by the way i I was also very good at the eighties. You were good at the 80s. We, I don't know that we were that we really <laughs> well, I was good at like Madonna and uh Michael Jackson, you know, mm-hmm. I
2: could moonwalk. yeah. <laughs> Were you good at at that? I I feel like I was good at the 70s. I feel like I I liked the 80s, but um, I didn't really pay much attention to pop music in the 80s. I was still Mm. very much in the 70s, and I really enjoyed the 60s. And I don't think I fully enjoyed all of what the 80s offered until... Mm, maybe the 2000s. Oh, you and then they started to sound good and interesting. Even though I know about the 80s, it just I didn't really follow it the way people followed 80s pop culture. But the 70s, all the light rock and the disco, mm. and the straight ahead rock and roll, the country music, I was I was all in.
1: Okay, let's circle back to the Bee Gees. The Bee Gees, the brothers yes. Gibb.
2: They saw themselves
1: as triplets. So it was these three brothers that
2: mm-hmm. looked nothing alike. Robin and Maurice
1: <laughs> were the younger brothers and they were fraternal twins. Um, and then Barry was the older brother. So mm-hmm. Barry somehow, I'm just going to say it because it's what everybody's thinking. Yeah. He was first in line when they were handing out looks.
2: I mean, he was a good looking man.
1: He was a good. Looking, come on! I mean, those white tight pants, and then the, and then the shirts with the. This is all
2: clothing, but his face, his teeth, his hair—those feathered wings of hair. Yes, that split down his head, and he had some seriously beautiful hair. Yes, yeah, he was. He's he's gorgeous. He's gorgeous,
1: and the and his so dreamy little accent you know he yeah. seemed tall i don't know how tall he was but he seemed like he was very caring just by the way he sang like ha, 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 ha. like who sings that high unless they really caring
2: men care about people yeah yeah that's a definite sign of a caring man somebody who was could you believe how high they they sang I mean, I, I could believe it just because I had heard it for decades. I wasn't shocked. This wasn't the first time I was hearing of it. But it was quite uh, impress. It's it's impressive. It is
1: impressive.
2: And what songwriting machines they were. Yeah. That's what's so impressive to me. Yeah. Let me ask you something please. that we've discussed on other documentaries. Ask did me you anything. cry? Almost. Oh, when? When did you
1: almost cry? At the end and I mean I don't want to skip to the end now. Okay.
2: But I but I didn't. Did you cry? I did. I cried. Oh
1: boy. When I
2: didn't I didn't break down sobbing, but when I mean this is jumping ahead, but when yeah. their bandmate was reflecting on the writing session and they were writing um, How Deep Is Your Love? Yeah. And he got teary-eyed and and then said that that song will always be in his heart i was like (laughs) (laughs) i know it's very sweet and i i immediately thought well i know who's not crying right now (laughs) (laughs) i was not crying that part didn't didn't get you i feel like you are cold-hearted yeah, yeah.
1: No, I I'm not at all. I'm very um, sensitive, but I, you know, I was wa- I was watching a guy have his own moment. I didn't need to get involved in his moment.
2: Oh, you think I was hogging it?
1: Mm-hmm. I thought you were like,
2: oh, I I've got to get in on this action. Well, don't you think any moment you're watching in a movie or documentary when somebody's crying or sad, and you and you are touched by it, what you think you're hogging? you're getting in on their moment yeah you're getting in on it right.
1: you gotta you gotta but suddenly it's about you and it's actually not harsh so the Gibb brothers Uh huh. they had a dad named Hugh Gibb
2: and he became their manager one of the more famous Gibbs Hugh Hugh Gibb yeah was one of the, the, the talked about Gibbs the one everybody talks about Hugh Gibb oh yeah Hugh Gibbs Hugh Gibbs boys I know them. Those are Hugh's boys. <laughs>
1: nope. Nobody ever said that. Anyway, um, he became their manager. He wanted to, uh, I guess he really wanted the boys to, to be a band. I mean, did, wasn't, wasn't Hugh a musician of sorts himself?
2: I believe so. And then I feel like that's kind of a similar thing that happens. With, mm-hmm. It's a common thing where you don't make it and then... You organize and manage and push your children.
1: Yeah. Their mom was Barbara Gibb. Um, she was very mm-hmm. loving, strong, and loyal. Mm-hmm. And the family immigrated to Australia in 1958, just to let you know. And then these three brothers started singing three part harmony. The Beatles were on mm-hmm. the scene. They loved the Beatles.
2: They loved the Beatles. I mean, getting a long line, Hughes boys. You know, mm-hmm. everybody loved the Beatles, but they did really start to write and sound so similar to the Beatles. I was, mm-hmm. I was, I was pretty blown away. But I think that's a sign of their songwriting talent that became such a huge part of their career. Where somebody could come in and say, "Write this song," "Write this for me," "Write this for this singer," and then they could make it happen and make it sound and be perfect for whatever artists that they were writing for
1: yeah and they because they were brothers and um they could they could harmonize and their voices fit together in a way that was so unique um noel gallagher Mm -hmm. talks about the brothers singing together i think we have a little clip
2: well he's got a brother a famous brother those are the oasis brothers he knows what he's talking about Okay, but let's hear the clip.
1: You've got the brothers singing. When you've got brothers singing, it's like an instrument that nobody else can buy.
0: So,
2: Beatles. You can't go and buy that sound in a shop.
1: You can buy a friend of Stratocaster and put it through a Vox amp and sound like Buddy Ollie. You can't sing like the Bee Gees because when you've got family members singing together, it's unique.
2: I mean that that song, it could have been the the Beatles, John and Paul. I mean, truly, yeah, truly, truly, truly. Yeah,
1: it's hard to believe that they started out sounding like that, the Bee Gees.
2: Yes, they had more of like a they. I think alternated between a a Beatles sounding and folky sounding. Yeah. It was weird as a kid to get into their disco music and become such a fan that I bought old records and then to stumble upon you know their Massachusetts song and other um songs that did not sound like the Bee Gees that I, as I knew them, but I remember still lying in bed, bringing them, uh, when I went on summer vacation to see my grandmother and my aunts and uncles and stuff and bringing my, um, my, my music with me and still listening to it because it was the Bee Gees, but, um, it was confusing and I didn't really think, think too much about it I don't think I was old enough to understand that people go through different you know phases of of creativity and of their lives yeah in fact I was a massive Beatles fan and didn't ever I had all of their albums I did not this is when I was a small child did not understand or pick up on the fact that the white album sounded any different then help. Mm -hmm. I just loved the Beatles. So I loved everything. But with the Bee Gees, when I went back, I didn't get it. But I still, I still listened to them and I still enjoyed them.
1: Well, let's go back to, so, so they had an interesting writing process, right? Because I mean, I thought it was fascinating that they didn't really write their songs until they were recording them. Yeah. Isn't that insane? (laughs) But they knew that they wanted to record an album. So they were like, all right, let's get in there and see what happens.
2: Yeah, I think musicians are the artists. Well, I can't even say that. There's so many artists, poets and um, painters and whatever, that dancers that blow my mind. And I don't know how they do what they do. But musicians really blow my mind. And then that just takes it to a whole other level of how do you do what you do? to set aside recording time that's also going to be your composing time. It just seems... It seems
1: crazy. But, I mean, but look at the the uh, comedians that get up on stage and they don't know what they're going to... I mean, they have an idea of what they're going to talk about or...
2: Well, that's what I do, actually, now that I think about
1: it. <laughs> See? You're just like the Bee Gees. Let's I... listen to the Bee Gees describe their writing process.
0: We don't usually write our lyrics till the day we sing them. We usually write our lyrics in the studio itself that seems to work through thick and thin. It always always works for us. It's very hard to describe how we write, but the only way I can describe how we work at it is by becoming one mind. Morris had unique insight into the way Robin and I thought. He would just be fiddling around on the piano. He'd suddenly play something and go, what was that? He was trying to please us and the way that we would all try to please each other. And that sometimes was the birth of a song
1: did barry gibb barry gibb was was uh r- really sort of hosting this documentary did you find him sounding like sean connery
2: i could hear that yeah i could hear that yeah, the way we talk i can am not even gonna try to do it no try and do it nope i heard myself and i i know but i i it all happened too fast for me to really take in mm-hmm. you doing sean connery meets barry gibb so
1: we got in a studio <laughs> Oh, never mind. I hope that does not stay in. Are you known
2: for your impressions? Yes. (laughs) Yes. I, uh, I am
1: very good at impressions.
2: Yes, 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 you are.
1: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car.
0: With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: But so, okay, listen. What's interesting about this, so they didn't write their lyrics until they were in the studio, which is insane. And then they went to see Otis Redding. And loved Motown. And then they wrote a song for Otis Redding to sing. And then there was a plane crash and Otis died. And this whole band, right? Yeah, I know. It's so sad. And um they decided to to record the song, The Bee Gees. And that song was To Love Somebody. To love somebody.
2: To love somebody. The way I love and you. you. Oh, wow. You strained something. Which isn't surprising. If I am at a party or a bar and it's loud and I talk uh-huh. to people for more than 10 minutes, my voice completely goes out. So I don't think I could have been in the Bee Gees.
1: No, I'll tell that's you, the only reason why. Yes.
2: <laughs> I'll tell you. One of the things that surprised me most about this documentary was the I didn't know how entangled with Eric Clapton they were.
1: Yeah, that was interesting because they had to say, Did you know that? No. Oh, no. When I saw Eric Clapton on the screen, I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. what's Eric doing here? <laughs>
2: oh, Eric. <laughs> hi. I wasn't expecting you in this documentary. Oh, honey, Eric's here. Are you an Eric Clapton fan? I like Eric Clapton, but I was
1: watching this with Bobby and he's and he is like, oh, Eric. Well, there's Eric. It's like,
2: OK, does he know Eric? Yeah, he
1: does. Yeah. Um, are you an Eric Clapton fan?
2: Yeah, I'm an Eric Clapton fan. I'm not a diehard Eric Clapton fan, but I am definitely an Eric Clapton fan. I think I liked his earlier stuff better, but I like him. And he's somebody that, with time and space, he sounds better and better to me.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm sure he's gonna listen to this and and be glad that you you like him.
2: Well, how do you think the BG is gonna feel? <laughs> don't. First of all, what? don't
1: don't skip to the end. <laughs> Did you just say no? Oh. You did not just say the BG.
2: Yes. Tig, did
1: did you just say the BG? I'm, well, I'm insulted for the BG. I'm,
2: I, is it a big reveal at the end that, I guess if you're not a fan, I mean, I knew very well, I remember being on the school bus when Andy Gibb died.
1: Uh, yes. Andy Gibb. So Andy Gibb is their, their was younger their brother. younger brother. Yeah. Who was significantly younger.
2: Yes. My mother was in love with him.
1: I know Barry.
2: No, my mother was in love with Andy. Oh, Gibb. I thought you
1: said his his brother. Oh, your mother Well my mother
2: loved all of the Bee Gees, but she But she
1: liked the attractive ones more. She
2: thought Andy Gibb was the most adorable man yes. she'd ever seen in her life. He was. He was real cute. He was I'm, really cute. I'm more of a Barry Gibb. Barry Gibbs more my taste. You know you
1: like the barry gibb was more mature he had the the chest hair
2: yeah i like the big bearded man (laughs) i love i love a lady (laughs) with chest hair um and i would i would happily get to know a lady with a beard and chest hair but (laughs) i just haven't ever dated somebody with that i'm saying that between barry and andy yeah i think andy's adorable Mm-hmm. Barry, mm-hmm. although he doesn't look exactly how he did um, years ago, he is my type.
1: That's right. The, by the way, I didn't even know that was Barry Gibb for a while. How did long? you know at the beginning? I mean, I. I...
2: How long <laughs> until you knew that was Barry Gibb? No. You thought it was Sean Connery? I mean, I, I thought it was Sean Connery.
1: Um. Yeah. I listen, you know, in my mind, yeah. Barry Gibb like struts around his mansion in like a button-down shirt unbuttoned. With a, unbuttoned down to his navel with like the, you know, big stiff collar. Tight pants. <laughs> Super tight pants and you know, the medallion in the chest hair. Sure. In my mind, that's, who, that's what Barry Gibb is doing day in and day and out. And I would
2: imagine the but med- then, medallion gets tangled in the chest hair. That's what always makes me uncomfortable. It's got to get
1: stuck in there. Yeah. It's got to it get has stuck to. in Anytime there Anytime I
2: see somebody from the 70s with their shirt unbuttoned and a thick, thick head of hair on their chest mm-hmm. and a medallion, there's just no way. It's not yeah. pulling at... At little hairs and it's it's no hard. but it's worth it it is but it, it's i can't relax and just sing along and you're not supposed and do to the boogie when you
1: see a guy with a medallion and lots of chest hair you're not supposed to feel relaxed
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's supposed to be like oh shit what's about to go down uh-huh yeah and that's that's what it does and by the way the medallion
2: but it's for me draws your eye to like, that Oof, hair Oof. oh gosh careful mm. you know
1: Yeah, that's not what they're going for.
2: But I'm sure it happened a lot. But anyway, that's how I picture him, too. I knew it was him. You thought it was Sean Connery hosting (laughs) a Bee Gees documentary. But yeah, he's aged.
1: Of course, he's aged. We all have. I have have
2: aged, too. Okay.
1: You have. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, I wish he would have worn a collared shirt.
2: For the documentary. I said it.
1: Yeah, for the documentary. You don't need to sit around in your T-shirt that's been washed too many times. If you're going to wear a T-shirt on in a movie... I don't think he needs to be yelled at. I'm just letting him know for his, his next documentary. If you're going to wear a T-shirt in a documentary in a movie, it needs to be new and clean mm-hmm. and fresh. Okay. Sharp. Let's get right to when um, the Bee Gees found their sound, their second sound. So you were saying their first sound was you know, very Beatles-influenced. Beatles. And then he had sort of a soulful sound. And then when they were recording Nights on Broadway, like something spectacular happened.
0: He was looking for, for one of us to scream in tune, if possible. I said, I'll go out and give it a shot. Are we almost ready? Let's do it. So he went out there and he did the um, the blaming It Alls. Everybody in the control room woke up and it was like, oh, this is a new sound. I was thinking, my God, where is this coming from? I can do this. My whole life I didn't know I could do this.
2: The Bee Gees that everyone knows from the 70s seem to have been born in that moment.
1: Yeah, they found their falsetto and Barry Gibb just sort of screamed, But what I thought was amazing is that everybody in the room, all the people, the producers and the other brothers were like, we love it. Yes. We have got to double down on this.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: And then the brothers, like, without missing a beat, were also like,
2: and
1: then they all and then that was their new sound. Do it again. Mm hmm. I mean, when you were watching this, wasn't it funny? I mean, it's funny to hear them, though.
2: I don't know that it's funny. I think it's electrifying. I feel like when I hear them, just this huge burst of energy is in my chest. That's how I feel when I hear the Bee Gees. It's so, so much to me.
1: Do you think it's because of of you remembering the time of your life when you were listening to the Bee Gees or do you think it's the falsetto that gets you?
2: Probably, <laughs> probably all of it. I, I just, it's such a perfect storm of electricity running through my body and my chest and I just feel it in my heart and soul. I just, they just really move me and part of it's my mother was so into them part of it is the roller skating days part of it's the falsetto
1: when you watched this documentary was it at night
2: no it was during the day why did you watch it at night or yeah
1: i watched it at night and i could not go to sleep because all of the bg music was in my head <laughs> I could not turn it off. I t- t- for 2 days later I couldn't stop. Yeah. It really sticks with you. So, you know, getting back to the story of of the Bee Gees. So they they came together, they recorded this music, and then at some point, you know, Barry and Robin, they they were pretty competitive and they both wanted to sing the lead and um at one point the band broke up. Because they all felt like, you know what, I need to do my thing. I need to do my thing, and they weren't very successful on their own. Yeah, people wanted to see the Bee Gees. Oh, oh, and there was a sad. Remember when Robin, uh, Robin went to sing somewhere, and
2: yes, God were I so mad at that. him,
1: and he was standing on stage with all these people, and it's like they thought they were the BGs, and like you said, it was just a BG. It was BG. It was BG and the crowd did not. BG showed up. <laughs> BG showed up and the crowd was not. Yeah, happy.
2: They need plural. They. It's the, got to be plural, yeah, or else. And and I, I have to say, I, I've performed at so many live shows like that where people were not expecting the BGs, and they were expecting me, and I still yeah. got that reaction.
1: Yeah. So it's it's hard anyway. Mm-hmm. Is what I'm hearing you say. Yes. And then when you have that, when people are expecting something and then you walk out and it's like, oh, shoot, that's not at all what we wanted.
2: Right. We thought we wanted this and we don't. We don't want want you. Um, So
1: then, you know, at
2: some point. I just have
1: to say that happens so
2: often when a band disperses or a writing team disperses or a producing partnership disperses. But sometimes... Somebody does rise from the ashes, but it, Sting. Yes, or Dave Grohl.
1: Oh, yes.
2: I mean, there are people that have incredible success. Beyonce. 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 And actually, Barry Gibb had pretty incredible success with Barbara Streisand. Yes. you know that with,
1: was later. That was later. That was
2: much later. But yes yeah it's just interesting to to see because a lot of times and for good reason people start to think oh i can do this on my own and it's not to say you can't do something on your own but um you know i remember when i had the indigo girls on my other podcast don't ask tig Mm -hmm. amy ray um, was talking about how whenever she would let her dad hear her solo music he would say Yeah, it's, it's good. It's good. But you know where the magic is, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And, (laughs) and, but she acknowledges, she said, this is, you know, it is me and Emily. That's, that's the magic, but there's nothing wrong with (laughs) going out and doing your own thing and expressing yourself. And maybe there will be something that takes off from it, but it's really a hard thing to come away from or, get out of once yeah. you have that explosion
1: they were so big and they were so they were riding high and they couldn't imagine people wouldn't just love them on their own and then i guess they, i guess they did uh, battle drug and alcohol abuse but it wasn't that wasn't really highlighted that much in this documentary yeah, it seems
2: like anybody in that time period even now but Especially that time period, you just kind of assume people right. were doing drugs and alcohol. Was there anyone that was not
1: um, Sally? I don't know. I'm I'm sure there was a girl named Sally that wasn't doing it. Mm-hmm. I just picked a name. I don't. Think um, so. Then at some point they got back together, mm-hmm. and they decided to put a band together. Yes. Um. So it wasn't just the three of them, but they also had you know different musicians. And then and they moved to Miami mm-hmm. to like change the vibe. They wanted to see something new. They made Miami and, look
2: so cool to me.
1: Oh my God. I mean, can you imagine like driving by on your boat and seeing the BGs out in their little bathing suits and 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 Andy Gibb on his wave runner and all be of like, their
2: medallions caught in their, their chest medallion. hair.
1: Oh, my God. They look like they were having so much fun.
2: I know. I feel like maybe that was that the time period when Miami was cool, because I feel like Miami isn't known for being cool anymore. I feel like it's cool with a certain demographic.
1: Hmm. Or I don't it, know.
2: Well, you're I, a Florida I person.
1: I know. I was born in Miami. Yeah. When it was so cool. <laughs> The last time I went but Miami is such an interesting, beautiful place anyway, because it's on this amazing water, and people drive their boats up to a restaurant and Mm -hmm. get off the boat, and it's just really fun. Yeah, if you have a lot of money. Yeah.
2: But I mean it's it's drawing Eric Clapton in, and then Eric Clapton is such an influence to the Bee Gees in that he's saying, um, I don't know if he said it or they were just thinking, oh, let's go where Eric, I can't remember who's, what happened there, but that they went to where Eric was.
1: Oh, right. Because Eric recorded in this, in this house in, uh, um, Miami. in Miami. And he said, you guys should come down here and see if it feels different. See if it inspires you. And those brothers...
2: We're inspired. I mean, the pictures from them in Miami, I was like, uh, hello. I would like <laughs> to be a part of that.
1: <laughs> Yellow bee gees, I'm coming over. And then they brought they brought all their family and I mean it just seemed like they yeah, were what having it was a, a it ball. So like
2: forty people that moved over to the States. Yeah.
1: yeah, they they had a ball. And then so Blue Weaver. And Dennis Bryan joined the band. Okay.
2: Blue Weavers, who made me cry in this documentary. Oh, right. Yeah.
1: He was very sweet. They all seemed sweet.
2: Yeah, they all seemed sweet. And I
1: don't know if it's because of the high voices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Miami, 1975, they recorded at Criteria Studios, and, and then they had the uh, the number one hit with Jive Talking.
2: That is a good tune. And remember how Jive Talkin' came to be from the click in the wheel of the car? Yes. I mean, that is a stroke of genius right there. Yes. How much do you love Jive Talkin'?
1: I love Jive Talkin'.
2: Come on. That is an incredible (laughs) song.
1: Jive Talkin'. Um, And then after that, things got Super crazy,
2: yeah. I super crazy in the way that the documentary immediately turned into that situation where you see a band in a limousine and people yeah. jumping on the limousine. Yes, I mean that's when you know things are crazy. When people ask me, at what point did I know I had had success? Look, I have not been in a limousine that's trying to drive off and there's people on the limousine. Have you? Yeah, had like that on success, the hood, Cheryl.
1: I've yet to have that experience. I have yet to
2: have I think that this experience. podcast is going to, well, I think you and I Take are going to see that kind of success mm-hmm. where we're going to get the podcast into podcast limousine awards. and we're going to try mm-hmm. and leave the podcast awards and a mob, the mob, the mob. of podcast fans are just going to jump listeners on our stretch limousine mm-hmm. as we drive off drinking champagne. Listening to Jeff talking. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have
1: like the moonroof open and we'll be sitting outside at the top of it, drinking our champagne.
2: Girls in bikinis, right?
1: Yeah, and and guys in bikinis with the chest hair and the medallions. And then people are going to be screaming. Oh, and let's do the champagne thing where you you shake it up and squirt it on the people.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I've always been amused by... um, how people will rent limousines that have um, tinted windows, mm-hmm. but they always have the windows down so you can see them. <laughs> well, not only down, but then they
1: stand up and the they're the, hanging yeah, out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so listen, they were at they were really riding high. They went to France to record another album. Uh, this yeah. part was funny too because they had they had everything at this point, and they stayed in a quote unquote chateau. That yes. they thought was going to be fancy, and it was really like a dive, and it kind of made everybody have to stay together in this big, sort of, unfinished castle. They called it. Yes. Which still doesn't sound bad, but I guess a castle. It, I with know no when heat. he was
2: describing uh, an unfinished castle, I still couldn't shed a tear for it him. It still but... felt like, well, you're
1: still a castle. Yeah, right. you're
2: still in a castle.
1: <laughs> it was there. That somebody asked them, and if I knew more, I would tell you um, that they were doing uh, a, the soundtrack to Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, the um, the film, and
2: that's really when things oh, started going went to a
1: different level.
2: Yeah, pants got tighter, chest got hairier, oh, God. medallions got heavier, got caught, and you know more ingrown hairs on the chest pulling it was
1: it kicked up a notch
2: it really kicked up a notch
1: yeah so when oh they wrote night fever mhm and they didn't even want to read the script
2: mhm because
1: it didn't even matter what the script was about they wanted to capture new york city and their feeling of it and you know and so when you watch the documentary they talk about um even staying alive is You know, it's kind of about the mean streets of New York and how people are just trying to get by. It doesn't really reflect, you know, Saturday Night Fever where people are disco dancing.
2: But it is crazy how much these guys captured the vibe of New York City. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it really felt like John Travolta wrote the whole album based on his experience uh, growing up in New York City. I don't even know where John grew up. Do you?
1: No, I don't. But it seems like he grew up in Brooklyn. Brooklyn. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. but it, What do it, you think, if you had to guess where John Travolta grew up? Well,
2: I mean, I feel like John Travolta is Vinnie Barbarino from right. Welcome Back, Cotter. So I just assume that's a documentary about his childhood and his <laughs> high school days when he was 40.
1: And Gabe Kaplan was, yeah. was his
2: teacher? <laughs> yes. <laughs> And I feel like John Travolta could have easily been part of the Bee Gees, too. They all he just merged have. into one person. You know, they were like quadruplets at that point.
1: Yeah. Oh, I wonder if the Bee Gees even knew John Travolta.
2: Well, they had to have met at some point. Right? I guess.
1: I don't know. You've done. I mean, how many times have you done a movie and met the the people that do the music for your movie?
2: Every time. But I no, not necessarily. But okay. it... Saturday night. Fever became such an empire that there's yeah. no way that their worlds didn't cross over the years. I would put my money on it, that yeah. every Bee Gees met John.
1: So yeah, so Saturday Night Fever came out, and they not only did the Bee Gees write Night Fever, but then they wrote Stayin' Alive, they wrote... More Than a Woman. Did they, they have like s-
2: five f- five songs off... Well, it became the the soundtrack uh, of the
1: whole movie and
2: album of the year yeah at the grammys
1: yeah the producers wanted a they wanted an album that people could put on and just keep dancing to mhm
2: and this whole craze with this movie fed into um well they described it as i don't i guess it just got commercialized in such a a dirty gross way that people started capitalizing off of the disco movement and the wave of music that was going on at that time that disco duck was born things like that well right so yeah the the unfortunate side of it all started to happen they got too popular the music got too popular they
1: were overexposed the bgs were overexposed they had they because of that album the radio stations were playing the Bee Gees night and day, hit after hit. And people people were, got sick of it. They were like, OK, enough with the Bee Gees and the Bee Gees didn't really have anything to do with it. They just put out this album. Somebody asked them to put out an album that people could dance to. So it was suddenly and you're right. And people started to commercialize disco and they called it disco.
2: I mean, to be fair, it was already commercial, but it went overboard commercialized. Right. To the point where the Bee Gees were completely shunned. In the '80s, and culturally ignored, and they were completely removed from the airwaves.
1: Well, can can we talk about Steve Dahl for a second? Yeah, or do you want to just ignore him?
2: I would prefer to ignore him.
1: I'm just going to quickly tell you who we're ignoring. There was a, a Chicago DJ named Steve Dahl who who decided that he was going to bring down disco music because he what a was brave so, man yeah because he was so much cooler and he hated watching everybody uh go out and dance on a saturday night like why would that bother somebody that much like what what is what was he doing that would bother him so much that other people were going out and, and dancing at a nightclub
2: i know it's like homophobic people yeah
1: it's so weird so anyway he did this big um gimmicky thing at the Chicago White Sox field where he had people bring um disco records and then he set them all on fire in a in the middle of the field. And Brave and Man. Brave was man. so brave and you know saying disco sucks and it was sadly it was a turning point for disco.
2: Yeah. It and, it, it sadly yeah. worked. It and, did, and it and it's an, another example of when um, stupid people mobilize. Yeah, um, yeah, they can do unnecessary and they really damage. They
1: really killed disco. Good work, but so it really did. It killed the uh, BG's um
2: career. You know what I have to say? It reminds me of the hatred that some people had about Dane Cook, the comedian. Yeah, he was selling out stadiums he he had just the hugest comedy specials yeah and and it was just he kept building and building this momentum and then this backlash starts where people are like, "Oh, I hate him, and of course, there were comedians that were speaking poorly and accusing him of stealing material, but it's like and nothing against Dane Cook, but he wasn't coming from terribly personal places, he was doing very observational stuff that right. in comedy that's easy for anyone to come up with those ideas mm-hmm. you know
1: but right but he but people he, took him down he had a big following and people were having a good time and they were loving him and yeah and he was having a moment and take him wh- down I, I still don't understand that whole i don't it's understand stupid. the it's stupid. thing and he's also I, good looking and i yeah, think people I, were I have no mad about that
2: my feeling is if you don't like him don't listen to him. If you don't like the Bee Gees, don't listen to them. Stop taking people down unless they do some some sort of personal attack on you. But it doesn't yeah. sound like Dane Cook or the Bee Gees did anything to these morons. Stay
1: in your lane. Like yeah. do your thing and let them do their thing. That's why I mean this guy, Steve Dahl. Ugh, I don't I don't know anything about him. I didn't know anything about him. I I, I vaguely remember this Yeah. L- but but watching this documentary made me really
2: yeah I don't want to know more about it I don't
1: either I don't either let's Um, move on so then now the Bee Gees have come to a basically a standstill in their career Mm -hmm. once again yeah because people loved them so much and now now everybody's just decided we don't love them we don't want to hear them we don't want to talk about them so what I found really inspirational about this documentary is their third wave of their career when they were really they were also down, even though a huge success. They had all the money they needed and all of that, but um, but they were their artists and they wanted to keep make, making music. They decided to start writing songs for other people, and they found a great success in that. and And interestingly enough. Barry Gibb talks about how that's what he's really most proud of in his career, which I thought was really interesting. So, Tig, they wrote really famous songs like Woman in Love for Barbara Streisand, Heartbreaker for Dionne Warwick, Chain Reaction, Diana Ross. Ooh, Islands in the Stream for Kenny and Dolly.
2: Yes. Islands
1: in the Stream. That, that was huge. That is what we are. That is what we are. <laughs>
2: I feel like I feel like Kenny was kind of the country version of Barry, you know, Hmm. they had a similar vibe, open shirt and beards and Mm -hmm. feathered hair parted down the middle. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, like the like the country women were crazy about Kenny, Kenny Rogers, the same way that the city girls were crazy about the Barry Gibb. Is that what you're saying?
2: I don't know. we girls crazy about Kenny Rogers. Probably. I guess so.
1: Yeah. Like m- moms. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think moms were crazy about Barry Gibb. Oh, and then can we just, we'll do a side note. It's sad side note. Does anybody want a sad side note? Well, because we talked about Andy Gibb a little bit and Andy is in this documentary a little bit. He passed away. Uh, they, wow. You really had to get in there. Yeah. In 1988. It was very sad because the Bee Gees invited him to be a, a Bee Gees, And then he was only 30 and he was, he had a, a big drug problem and um, had a heart attack.
2: That's so sad. That That's a major, major drug problem.
1: Yeah, that's really sad. It's sad. It goes back to, you feel like, oh my God, there's somebody who has everything like who has everything? Why aren't they happy enough with everything? Why do they have to do drugs? But I know it doesn't work like that.
2: Yeah. And again, the everything is what people assume is the everything. And he clearly didn't have the important everythings. And which is interesting because of the hit, I want to be your everything.
1: (laughs) It is interesting.
2: -hmm. And then the, and you know, they got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1997. And then, um, you know, it, they really made their way from their first iteration of the Bee Gees to the second iteration to becoming such successful songwriters that wrote for others. And then it just sadly went downhill after Andy passing away um Maurice got sober and then died in 2003 and I believe he had his intestines got twisted during a surgery and he died of complications which is just so so unfortunate it it reminds me of when Joan Rivers died, it just feels so premature and unnecessary. And then Robin passed away from cancer in 2012. Mm -hmm. And it seems like an obvious thing to say, but it was still another moment that just really got me in the end when Barry said that he would prefer to have all of his brothers back and never have a hit in the first place.
1: Yeah. I thought that was the most poignant moment in the film that was it was sad but also you know I I really appreciate the thought of when somebody passes and somebody says may their memory be a blessing and I I always think about that and and it seemed like you know just hearing him say that it still it felt like he was blessed by having that life with his brothers
2: oh yeah I mean how could you not wish for you know, it, it's a very common thing when people mm-hmm. are deathly ill or actually dying, that all they seem to want or find importance is importance in is family mm-hmm. and friends and and um, and that was very much a moment uh, that that hit me.
1: Yeah. Okay, Tig, it is time for Happily Ever After Thoughts, where we give our final thoughts on this week's documentary.
2: Did you love, did you like, how did you feel about this documentary?
1: I loved it. I really loved it. I loved the music. I loved all the images that we got to see, and it really... It's interesting. and I think people will have different reactions to it depending on how old they are, because like if my 16 year old daughter saw it, I don't I'm sure she wouldn't have the same feeling that I would because I was, you know, I listened to this and it brought me back to a time in my life. And it made me think about, you know, I, I mean, when I was growing up, my parents in our neighborhood would have patio parties and they would put like concrete patios in the backyard. And then they would have everybody over to do the hustle. <laughs> <laughs> so it just like, it evoked all these really fun memories for me. Um, and I liked, you know, it was interesting listening to Barry Gibb and it was an exciting life for them all. I thought, what did you think?
2: I liked it. I, I really liked it. I, I think that what I'm usually looking for in a documentary is an exciting twist Mm. or unearthing of information that I had no idea about. And Mm -hmm. sometimes when documentaries just kind of give you the story start to finish, it just feels nice and nostalgic. And um, I think the only thing I really didn't know was what a huge part Eric Clapton played in their career. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I liked it. Everybody's been saying, Oh, you gotta watch the Bee Gees. I just watched the Bee Gees document. It's incredible. It's, and I was hoping it meant that there was a twist or turn that I didn't know about or, or followed Barry in modern day life. And there was some sort of reveal, but, but I would say I, I liked it.
1: Well, I thought they were, I thought the reveal of them discovering their falsetto sound was so interesting cuz I I just assumed that that's how they always sang. So to think that it was just discovered sort of a third of the way through their career was so fascinating to me and that everybody was and that everybody said, "Okay, yeah, let's do this. Let's really go full force into the falsetto songs."
2: Yeah, I don't know. I guess that's not a big enough twist for me.
1: (laughs) Oh, well. But so what about my octopus teacher? Did you think that was twisty, turny?
2: Well, the tentacles were twisty, turny. But I, I think that that was such an unknown story I was going into, having absolutely no information. Whereas the Bee Gees, I was a fan, and I followed their career through my life. And it was such a part of... My family, my mother loved them and it just wasn't an unknown. It wasn't such an unknown for me.
1: Well, I, I mean, I really liked this because it was interesting to see Barry Gibb talk about it from his point of view. And um and I don't I can't remember the last time I listened to BG's music. <laughs> so for me it was really a fun, sort of uplifting two hours.
2: It was a fun and uplifting uh, watch for me as well,
1: so we can we can tell everybody
2: you should watch it.
1: you should watch it. let us know what you
2: think before we go it's time to check in with our listeners in a mm-hmm. segment uh, that we call true fan mail today's message actually comes from a listener who may not be such a true fan. <laughs> In a one star review on Apple Podcasts, <laughs> Laughing Dog writes, I don't get it. It doesn't even seem like they get it. They don't seem interested in their own show most of the time. <laughs> I started listening to this podcast on the recommendation of a friend and only gave it a shot. I don't think either of them are especially funny or interesting because <laughs> I watch a lot of documentaries. I don't understand why they made it. Well,
1: well listen, <laughs> Laughing Dog, uh, <laughs> Laughing Dog has no sense has, of humor. Well, maybe Laughing Dog, which is weird that their handle is Laughing Dog, maybe this person watches documentaries, you know, in a very, yeah, more serious way, which is okay.
2: Yeah, like maybe Laughing Dog wants to see a documentary about the lava at the center of the earth.
1: Right. And Laughing Dog should, yeah, this isn't for Laughing Dog.
2: Well, clearly, Laughing Dog knows that. Laughing Dog wa- listened to us and Gave sat it down and wrote us a scathing review.
1: Scathing. We don't even but get it. I
2: you know? have to say I'm actually on Laughing Dog's side because yeah I don't get it. I don't get our podcast. Yeah. I don't know why we're doing this.
1: I don't know why we're doing it.
2: I don't I don't understand why we make this show. But you Laughing well, Dog mad is not wrong. It, it's perfect for the BG's documentary and perfect for what I was saying about Dane Cook. If you don't like it, yeah don't listen. That's right. However, keep, yes keep giving us reviews, even if they're like laughing dogs. I, I mean, I'm all for whatever anybody has to say. Do you feel that way?
1: Well, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes people really go out of their way just to be a-holes. And I, that's, I find that annoying and not not interesting.
2: I guess I'm not looking for people to be mean, but I just, this sort of genuine message is so amusing to me.
1: By the way, my mom could have written this about Curb Your Enthusiasm because she watches Curb and she's like, I don't get it. (laughs) I I don't say she, she could say all of these. It doesn't even even seem to me like they get it like this sounds like something my mom would say Larry David doesn't get it
2: so it's just like okay well we do love reading your messages and comments and reviews and keep letting us know what you think about the documentaries and leave us a review and we just might read your response on the show Cheryl do you have anything you want to promote
1: no no not really
2: okay well I have a podcast called don't ask Tig and um I'm also in a movie that's At Sundance this year, which will be, I believe, streaming online. It's called Together Together, and it's with Mm. Ed Helms and many other amazing uh, actors. So yeah, uh, check that out. I believe that's going to be premiering in the next couple of weeks, I think at the end of January. So that's cool. Look for Together Together. Okay. Well, should we do this again? Yeah, let's do it again. Okay. Okay. Tig and Cheryl True Story is hosted by me, Tig Notaro, and Cheryl Hines. It's produced by Gabi Kovacic and Thomas Willette. Audio engineered and edited by Thomas Ouellette. With music by David Susson. Special thanks to Patrick McDonald and Stephanie Allen. Follow us on social media for updates and review and rate True Story on Apple Podcasts. We really, really appreciate the review. You can email us at Tig and Cheryl, true story at gmail.com. On our next episode, we will be talking about the inventor out for blood in Silicon Valley.
0: That was a headgum
2: podcast.